Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to start reading in verse 11, 11 through 17. All right, I trust you found it. Let's stand real quick. Would we do that this morning? Let me have you glad for that book you hold in your hand. Let me have you recognize how much it means. Amen. How powerful it really is. All right, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Here we go. Soon afterward, he, speaking of Jesus, went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. What an odd thing to say to somebody. A widow who's already buried her husband, and now she's burying her only son. A woman who literally now is completely alone in the world, and Jesus says to her, don't cry. What an odd thing to say. But we know Jesus had other things in mind. Amen? Then he came up and touched the bier, the casket, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Can you pray with me this morning? Father, I don't want to just preach a sermon today. God, with just points and thoughts and illustrations. Today, God, I want you to speak through me as a vessel. God, that you can speak a word fitly spoken just at the right moment for every individual, Lord, that needs to hear it today. Let your word hit its mark, we pray in the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want to preach on this thought this morning, collision course with Christ. You know what a collision course is, right? When two objects are moving toward one another at a high rate of speed, and unless something alters one of their courses, they're going to collide. They're on a collision course. And I want to speak about that collision course with Christ. Every one of us are on it. Amen? Every one of us are on that path and how we react is going to determine where we spend eternity. We know that. But in this particular event that we just read about, there's two crowds. Did you pick up on that? There's two crowds. There's the crowd that's following Jesus. Okay, now this crowd is joyous. This crowd is happy. This crowd is excited. This crowd has just watched the power of God move in awesome and mighty ways. This crowd has just witnessed a paralyzed man being healed. It's witnessed demons being cast out. It's witnessed blind people being healed. Uh, it's, this crowd has just eaten uh, food that had been multiplied by Jesus. So you can imagine the atmosphere of this crowd following Jesus. But then we read in the scripture another crowd over here. This crowd is heading towards the city. Okay, it's approaching, if you imagine a big city with a big, huge wall all the way around the city, and the only way to get into that city is through the gate, right? It's not like Willow Springs where you can come in half a dozen different ways. Just a couple ways within the gate. So here's this crowd heading towards the gate to go into the city. Here's this crowd heading toward the gate to go out of the city. This crowd, the atmosphere is much different. This crowd, people are weeping. They're mourning. They're depressed. Their world has come crashing down. This crowd can't hardly see any hope in sight. This crowd, especially the widow lady, their life in their mind had just come to an end. 
So these two crowds were literally on a collision course. They were heading toward the same gate, heading towards the same place, and when they collided, when they met, everything changed. Jesus, of course, knowing the situation, all the, the joy and rejoicing, maybe this crowd's thinking, well, what do you have to be so unhappy, or what do you have to be so happy about? And this crowd's saying, well, what do you have to be so unhappy about? And Jesus looks at this woman whose life has just completely been rocked and turned upside down. And he says to her, she's, or, or, she's a widow, she's already buried her husband, has one son that no doubt took care of her, and now he's dead. And Jesus says to her, woman, don't, don't cry. Don't weep. And when Jesus says that to her, he touches the casket, okay? And after Jesus touches the casket, there's some thumping starts coming from on the inside, amen? Hallelujah. That which is dead is saying, let me out of this box, right? And so the crowd, the atmosphere had completely changed when they collided with Jesus Christ. Now, there was no longer two crowds, one sad, one happy. The, the happy, the joyous crowd, Christ's crowd, had literally swallowed up the sad crowd, and now, rather than two crowds, there was one big happy crowd. That's what happens when our course collides with Christ. Amen? I can testify, I hope you can too, I am generally, genuinely, generally happier now that I know Jesus Christ. Can you say that? I mean, are you happy in your salvation? I, I would hope you could say that. Do we get sad? Oh, yes. Do we have mournful times? Yes. But for the most part, we're, we're in the entourage of Almighty God. Therefore, our general atmosphere, for the most part, is happier. Because we've collided with Christ. And He, he won. He changed. Literally, in this moment, I mean, the people go around, they're excited, they're glorifying God, saying a, a great prophet has risen among us. So these people recognize that heaven had literally just collided with earth, right? That what they had just witnessed and what they had just saw was not your average run-of-the-mill everyday occurrence. Heaven had just collided with earth. God had literally just came to earth. Isn't that what Emmanuel means? God where? With us. The course of earth and its sinful path has collided with God and His righteous path. And who wins? Amen? We're, we're talking about a difference here. You ever play chicken? You, two people or two cars and they're running just as fast as they can towards e each other and unless one of their courses are altered, what happens? They collide. So the idea is whichever one moves first is the chicken and loses. But if both are headstrong and both are stubborn and they, and they collide. So you can imagine what would happen if a semi-truck fully loaded was playing chicken with a bicycle. Who's going to win? Okay. Jesus is the semi-truck. I think you probably got the analogy figured out by now. We are the bicycle. So what, Jesus always wins. What happens when these two crowds collide, what happens when joy collides with pain? What happened in this scenario? When joy collided with pain, pain had to give way, had to yield to the joy. Psalm 30 and 5 says, Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping, sorrow, crying endures for the night, but joy. Everybody say, but joy. 
but joy, indicating a change of pace, but joy comes in the morning. What does that tell me? As soon as joy gets here in the morning, weeping yields to the joy. It's what happened with this woman. Her weeping and her sorrow yielded to the joy that Jesus brought into her life. Praise God. Two crowds have become one. When life meets death, death dies. Amen? We're all going to die. Has everybody realized that this morning? But we're on a collision course with the resurrection and the life. Right? I mean, when life collides with death, death dies. That's what happened in this scenario. Death, which is final, death, which is unreversible in our power, literally rolled over and knocked on the bottom of a casket door. Amen? Because life always proceeds and conquers death. Amen? When it collides. That's why, the, why with, with Lazarus, and, and they said, well, no, no, he's, I mean, he's, he's been dead four days. But that didn't matter because life is stronger than death. Amen? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And we know the story. He spoke life into Lazarus and he stood up. That's what happens when life meets death. And life isn't just something that's happening to us. Life is a person, right? Life is a who? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the... Jesus said, I'm life. And I give it and I take it away. And so when death precedes us, life will always win. Semi-truck and bicycle. Amen? No comparison. Uh, turn with me into chapter uh, 5 of Mark real quick here. Let's look at another scenario. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, when Jesus had crossed again into the, uh, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him or asked him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Okay, so here's a crowd heading towards this man's house with a very sick girl that's, that's on the verge of death. If you drop down into verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house. We're going to find them meeting another crowd. People come and said, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. You don't, you don't, you don't even need to come to the house. She has already died. And look what Jesus says to him. Do not fear, only believe. Okay? What happens when faith collides with fear? Which one conquers? Which one wins? Faith always, true faith, unwavering faith, always overrides fear. Jairus' heart sunk. It had to have. Can you imagine? Jesus is his only hope of his daughter surviving, and now the, the daughter's dead, so Jesus is not even going to be help to me anymore fear spreads up within his heart and jesus just no no, don't i can almost see jesus putting his hand on jairus so jairus don't worry about it she's already dead and jesus putting his hand on no no, don't worry about it don't fear don't be afraid i got this okay because death was on a collision course with the resurrection and the life okay when jesus walks in first of all he allowed no one to follow him except peter and james is verse 37 and John, the brother of James. They came into the house of the ruler of the synagogue. When Jesus saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Was she just sleeping or was she really dead? She was really dead. Okay? 
He's not saying, oh, no, you guys misdiagnosed her. I feel a pulse. She was really dead. He's just saying, look, in my world, she's just sleeping, right? Because I have control even over death. And so Jesus then, they laughed at him, made fun. What are you talking about? We know she, we've checked her pulse. We've done, taken all of the vitals. She's dead. But he put them all outside because Jesus has to get unbelief out sometimes before he can work a miracle. Amen? Puts them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up, began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Life had just collided with death, and life won, as it always will. Not only in... Not only in uh, Lazarus' situation, not only in this widow's son's situation, not only in this man's daughter's situation. As far as, I'm not just talking about life. Um, we know we've all buried loved ones. It doesn't mean that every time somebody that we love dies, Jesus is going to raise them from the dead. We're talking about power over a whole other type of death. Amen? Not that he can't raise people from the dead and hasn't. I've seen him bring people back from the, the very edges of death for, before. But what about death in the end? I mean, death at the very end of life when it's all said and done. Having a hard time finding 1 Corinthians here. I'm trying to play all cool, you know, and find it while I'm talking, and it just wasn't working. So I just, well, let the cat out of the bag. I was lost. Yeah. First, if you, turn, you don't have to turn there if you want. You can if you want to. But in 1 Corinthians, the, the 15th chapter, around the long, along the lines of verse 42, says something like this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown or what is planted is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. The King James says what is planted or put in the ground is corruptible, but when it comes up, when it grows, when it blooms, when it comes out of the ground, now it's incorruptible. And he's speaking about ultimately our bodies, right? When we die, where do they put our body? In the ground. It's sown, it's planted, it's placed in the ground. And our body right now is corruptible. Our body right now is immortal. It's sinful. It's full of shame and dishonor. But Jesus, but the Bible says that because of Jesus, once we've been placed in the ground and then we raise again because life always conquers death, and that's the hope that we have as Christian people is that when we die, we don't stay there. Amen? That is the hope that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us. So in that day, when God raises from the dead all those who have died in Christ, when we come out of the ground, it's going to be a far different body that you and I have. See, because even when the entirety of the body of Christ is in the ground dead, then what did Jesus say whenever uh, the trumpet of God sounds, the dead in Christ shall what? Because life always conquers death when it collides. Hallelujah. He goes on through there. If you look down around the old uh, verse number 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, in other words, when the, new bo- uh, when the old body gives way to the new body and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This is what happens when the king meets the sting. Amen? The sting of death. Where is your sting, O death? 
Where is your power? The thing that we dread more than anything in our entire life, what is it? Death. I mean, if you're driving down the road and you're heading towards a cliff, you're not necessarily scared of the cliff. You're scared of dying, right? We fear death, but we're racing towards it every day. And so then when we get to that moment and we get to that place where death then seemingly consumes our body, uh, the town of God says, well, that wasn't so bad, right? <laughs> Amen. Great, wonderful is the day of the, the death of the saints of God, the Bible says. God, because, because life swallows up death and brings victory even through it. Amen. What's the last enemy? God's destroyed a lot of enemies over the years. What's the last one he's going to destroy? Death. We're all racing towards it, but it's not going to defeat it. Life swallows up death. Amen? I got a bunch of these, but I'm I'm not going to preach on every one of these. But I want to throw them out here because it may hit, it may be a scenario for you. What happens when calm collides with chaos? Chaos becomes calm. Amen? It's true. I can tell you the whole story about Jesus in the boat with the storm. Peace be still. It was chaos, but it collided with calm. Which one won? The calm. The chaos became calm through Christ. When our lives are chaotic, when our lives are falling apart, when we come to Jesus for rest, we were singing about that a minute ago, when our chaos collides with the calm, the voice that speaks in the midst of our storm and our calm, it brings a calm to our chaos. The disciples were, un- they were amazed. I like what they said. They said, what kind of man is this? That even the winds and the sea have to obey him. <laughs> right? I love it. The maker of the wind collides with the wind and therefore it only makes sense that the maker would win, right? Hallelujah. What kind of man is this that even the wind and the sea in its strongest form has to obey him when he speaks one word. I've been in chaos now, but most of the time, folks, when I found myself in chaos, God was taking me somewhere. He was taking me to a place of peace. I just didn't recognize it at the time. Amen? What happens when the truth meets the lie? Truth is kind of like life. Truth isn't a what, it's a who. I am the way, the the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. He didn't just speak the truth. He is truth. He's the embodiment of truth. So what happens when the truth meets the lie? Right? It's the, it's the uh, father of lies meeting the father of lights. Right? James said that um, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no uh, variableness or shadow of turning. Father of lights... And then the Bible says that Satan is referred to as the father of lies. What happens when they meet? When truth meets the lie, which one wins? Well, let me ask you this. When light meets the darkness, which one always wins? The light. The light always wins over the darkness. If it's pitch black dark, the second you turn on the light, you see the light. It wins. It beats darkness every time. And so the truth, when it collides with the lie, the truth will always win. It will always, in fact, it does this to us. Uh, You shall know the truth and the truth shall. It's going to set you free. You can't stay bound. You can't stay down whenever you're in the truth because it always trucks the lie. Amen? (laughs) Lies are chickens. They always have to give way when the truth comes through. 
Amen? You're, you know, Satan, there, there's a reason why the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. Because he lies to every one of us in some form or fashion. And when you have a thought or you have a feeling or something happened that is contrary to the word of God, you can see that as a lie. Only if you shine light on it. That's what light does. It exposes things in the darkness. If I'm, trying to, if I'm, if I'm in my, my shed and I'm trying to find something, Lord knows I've got to turn over 1,800 things to find it, but let's say I'm in the dark and I'm trying to, to find something and it's hiding over here in the corner and I can't see it. Though I look, I can't find it. But when I take and turn on my flashlight, it exposes what I'm trying to find. It exposes what was hiding in the dark. And these lies that Satan has told you and has told me that you're worthless or that God won't forgive you or that you can continue living in your... I mean, there's a million and one lies that Satan tells us. God don't love you. God won't save you. You've been too bad. How many of you know that's a lie? Satan's abandoned you. That's a lie. When we hear these lies, we can't recognize them as lies. We just, it, it defeats us. But the second we come in contact with the truth, the truth of God's word, it exposes that lie. It's a light that shines on that lie and exposes it. We can go, that ain't true. Amen? Truth always wins over the lie. When good, when good meets evil, evil loses its power. Every time. Right? Good always triumphs over evil every time. And that's not just for a good movie, right? It literally does. It doesn't seem like it in the moment. But in the end, when this world is over, good will triumph over evil. Always does. Can you think of one time in Scripture where Jesus, his course collided with a demon and the demon won? Can you think of one instance where there was a battle between God and Satan and Satan won? No, Every time this collision course between good and evil, God and Satan, God always triumphs and comes out ahead. People say, you say well, well, the cross, that was a win for the devil. No, it wasn't because number one, let me say this. I don't know how, if, I can, if I can say this the way I see it in my brain. But do you know that Satan didn't want Jesus to die? You know, we have our skits and we see our movies where, you know, Satan's all rejoicing because he killed Jesus. You really, that's really not good theology. Satan didn't want Jesus to die. You know why? Because the second Jesus died, our sins were cleansed. Jesus had, or Satan had his way to done everything he could do to keep Jesus from being crucified. And did. In, in the Garden of Gethsemane. You don't want to die for these people, right? You don't want to die for these Let this, this couple pass from you. You don't want to die for these people. He didn't want him to die. Because he knew that even though it appeared Jesus lost, he really won. Amen? Because when evil comes in contact with good, good always overrides it. Every demon Jesus comes in contact with, it fled the other way. I love it in, in Exodus when Moses goes up against uh, Pharaoh's sorcerers. I always found it really interesting. You know, you remember the story when he throws his rod down and the rod, Moses' rod turns into a snake. And then the hotshot sorcerers come along and say, oh, well, we can do that too. Number one, who was, who was the power behind them? So we know that the power behind Moses was God and the power behind the sorcerers was Satan. And so they said, we could do the same thing you just did. They throw their serpents, I mean, their rods down and they become serpents. And then Moses' serpent swallowed up, right? They're coming at each other and Moses, God's serpent swallowed up the serpents of the, of the enemy. 
Folks, that wasn't, just a, that wasn't just a really cool story. I mean, God was making a statement there, and that applies to every single aspect of our life. When Satan would come against us, God always triumphs over Satan in our life. Always. Don't ever underestimate the power of the God that you serve. Amen? You can look into Revelation just a little bit, and we see a battle taking place in the end. We like to call it the Battle of Armageddon. You talk, you talk about the clash of two crowds. That's going to be a clash of all time. When Satan and the Antichrist and the beast all gathered with their armies to defeat the armies of God. Jesus steps out on the scene and with his word demolishes them all. Semi-truck, moped, right? No comparison. It's not like Satan's like about to win or Satan's giving Jesus a run for his money. It's not even close. It's like the Clemson-South Carolina game yesterday. It's not even close. They went to a different game just because I think they felt sorry for I mean, it's like, okay, we're going to go on to another game because ain't nobody in the country wants to see somebody lose 65-4. to four. Yeah, but Anyway, it's a different story. Um, it's not even close. The power of good is always going to triumph over evil. What happens when healing meets sickness? Okay, Virtue trumps the issue. Okay, you remember the story, the woman with the issue of blood, she reaches out, she's sick, she has an issue of blood. She has an issue. How many of you got an issue this morning? No, let me tell you, let me, let me rephrase this. You all have issues, okay? I'm your pastor, I know, you have issues. And I do too, I've got issues. This woman's issue was that she had an issue of blood in the sense that she literally had hemorrhaging that took place within her body, she was losing blood and she went to every doctor she could find, spent every dollar she had, she was absolutely no better but it was actually worse but when she reached out to Jesus in faith, when her path, when healing collided with sickness and she came in contact with him, healing took over and defeated sickness, amen? You ever play, you ever play Rook? It's okay, I don't want to raise your hands like um, I was always told I wasn't supposed to play cards. It's okay to play cards in your house. Don't, don't go to the bar and, and you, know, uh, you know, gamble all your home and stuff away. But if you want to play cards in your house, that's fine. But uh, you play Rook, and there's a trump card, which means if I throw a card down and, and, and Matt throws down a trump card, it means his card overrules and overrides mine. It trumps it. Virtue. When, Jesus, when that woman touched Jesus, he said, Virtue went out of me. Healing power went out of him. And into her, sickness and healing headbutted. Okay, and they always say no one wins in a headbutt except for in this situation. The healing won over the sickness. And there's a million to one types of healing that people need. This applies to physical healing. What 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 are what's your issue? What issue in your life needs to be healed? Jesus said, "Have faith, put trust in me, and I will take care of that sickness." Take care of that that needs healed in your life. Amen? There's a, the man at the pool of Bethesda. When he comes in contact with Jesus, the, the, the custom was or the myth was or whatever that this pool, this pool of water, an angel, a lot of sick people, uh, crippled people would, would just hang out around this pool and there was every, once in a while the water would be troubled. It would wiggle or ripple and they said that they thought that was an angel that touched the water. The first person in the water would be healed. And so this person, 38 years he had been a cripple. And he would live there by this pool, and whenever he'd see the water, he'd try the, his best to get to it. Somebody would always beat him there. And Jesus comes along one day. His path met Jesus. Sickness come in contact with healing. And Jesus said, 
what's the problem? And he tells him, I don't have nobody that's going to, I don't have anybody to put me in. I can't get there quick enough. And Jesus says, arise, take up your bed and walk. And the, instantly, the strength and the power came into this man's leg. Healing always gives way. I mean, sickness always gives way to healing. What happens when poverty or provision collides with poverty? Not enough becomes more than enough. I have none becomes I have plenty. We see that a little bit whenever Peter tells Jesus, I don't have enough money to pay my taxes. Jesus said, well, go grab your pole, right? Go fishing. He goes, he fishes, catches a fish, and he opens his mouth. And what did he find inside that fish's mouth? A coin. Just happened to be enough to pay Peter's taxes and Jesus's. Amen? When poverty collides with provision, the provision of God, meaning he will provide all of our needs, poverty has to go. Amen? God said, I'm going to meet your needs. When strength meets weakness... The weak become strong. I like that. Paul, Paul had a weakness. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And he goes to God three times and he said, God, would you please take this thorn away from me? Whatever it was. There's a million and one scenarios and theories as to what that thorn was. It doesn't matter. It was a weakness that he had. It was a, a thorn. Something that was always getting in his way and always bringing him down. Lord, three times. Lord, please take this away. Lord, please take this away. God never took that thorn, he never took that weakness away. And this is why, because God said to him this, my grace is sufficient for you. My, in other words, my grace, my love is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When weak and strong collide, strong always wins. And so in our life, we are weak. We're weak in our flesh. We're weak in, sometimes in our faith. But whenever God comes and gives his strength and his power to us, we are able to do things that we normally could never do in our own strength. Isn't that an amazing thing? Strength always wins over weakness. Comfort always wins over confusion. God's not the author of confusion, right? God said, I'm going to give you a comforter, and that comfort that God gives through his Holy Spirit has a way of sorting out our thoughts. The cross always, when the cross meets condemnation, the cross always wins. What is condemnation? Condemnation is when you are just condemned and you're worthy of judgment and punishment. You know how many people live under condemnation all of the time? Feeling like they can't possibly live up to God's standards? Oh, have I got great news for you. You can't. Try hard. Try hard, I dare you. You cannot live up to God's standards. And when you don't, you get condemned and Satan condemns you. Jesus always points us to the cross. Paul said it like this in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation. How much condemnation? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's not any condemnation when we have Christ. The cross trumps it. Amen? When the blood of Jesus Christ meets our sin, Isaiah said it like this, verse 18 of chapter 1 come now and let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall become like wool what happens when the blood of Jesus Christ collides with our sin which one wins semi-truck bicycle you have you can't sin enough you haven't sinned enough that the blood of Jesus Christ is not sufficient for you it's like the song says I think one drop right all the sins that you've committed in your entire life and the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forgive you of that sin and cleanse you. 
Though your sins are like scarlet or like red, what happens if you put red dye or ketchup or something on a white t-shirt? It stains it. Your sins are like that. Your sins are red, like scarlet, like ketchup. It stains your shirt. But you put some OxyClean or some Shout, and you can wash the shirt. You can just put it in with some normal... You know, wash it, and it'll take the ketchup out. But what's left? What's still there? The stain. But the blood of Jesus Christ, he said, washes you white as snow. The blood of Jesus even takes away the stain of our sin, which means it's like I never did it. It's like I never sinned. The trace of the the sin is completely gone in my life. God never, people will see it. People are always trying to splatter you back with your sin, right? Remind you, but God says, I, I don't see that sin any longer. I've washed you white as snow. Jesus always, always, always has the right of way. Amen? I would not recommend pulling out in front of him. He always has the right of way. In the game of chicken, Jesus does not move. I promise you that. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. I'm going to end with this. Matthew chapter 21. Let's see what happens when the judge collides with the judged. Matthew chapter 21, verses 42, I think is where we're going to start reading. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, Have you never read in Scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. A cornerstone was the stone that was placed at the very corner of the building. It's the stone that decided that everything else in the building was going to be level, it's going to be square. The most important stone in the entire building was the cornerstone. Jesus said, I am that cornerstone. He is the most valuable, the most important aspect of our life. Amen? Can anybody agree with that this morning? So the builders rejected him, meaning the religious people rejected Jesus. The Pharisees rejected Jesus. But God took that stone that had been rejected and actually made it the most important part of the building. Then he goes on to say this. Therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, Uh, heard his parables they perceived that he was speaking about them you think and although they were seeking to arrest him they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet i didn't realize the word crowd was in that scripture that's cool um they feared the crowd so ultimately here's what it boils down to jesus said everybody who falls on this rock he's speaking of himself will be saved will be rescued but everybody who the rock falls on will be destroyed and will be crushed. This is what happens when the judge collides with the judged. Okay? Uh, which we all will be. How many, how many people will, how many knees will bow and how many tongues will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Every one of them. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess one day, at some point, either in this life or the next, that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're on a collision course and Jesus is going to win. Okay? He has the right of way. He created the way. He is the way, right? Um, So if you can imagine a stone, a big, humongous rock, 
and you're standing on ground that is literally coming out from underneath you, you're sinking. If you jump up onto that rock, you're safe. You rest. Jesus said, I am that rock that provides for you a place of rest. I am the rock that provides for you refuge. Something that gives your life stability, that gets you out of all of the sin and the things that drag you down and destroy your life. If you fall on me, I will protect you and I will save you. But take that same rock and hold it up with a rope and get underneath it, right? And that rope, little by little, one strand at a time, begins to unravel. And we know that the rock is about to fall. We know that we're about to stand before God one day and give an account for all of our deeds in this life. Yet we continue to abide under the rock as we see it unravel ahead of us. That rope represents time. It represents grace. We have it right now. But eventually, it's going to unravel and it's going to snap. Judgment will eventually fall. So Jesus said, take advantage of this time and fall on the rock. Let Him save you. Let Him cleanse you. Otherwise, eventually one day when this life is over and death comes your way, that rope is going to snap and the rock will fall on you, bringing its judgment with Him. Amen? What happens when the judge meets the judged? So, we're all to be judged, but your judgment day, in a sense, uh, you can get it over with today. Amen? You literally can take care of your judgment for, for your sins today. And the way you do that is by coming to Jesus Christ. When, when we come to Christ and we repent of our sins and the blood of Jesus Christ comes and washes away all of our sins, all of the judgment on our sin is taken away because Jesus took that punishment on the cross. So we don't walk any longer in fear of judgment of God because the judgment's already been paid for. Amen? So my encouragement is don't put it off. Let's take care of judgment right here today and let God wash it away. Otherwise, you have the fear of the rest of your life. All you have to look forward to is the day that the rock is going to fall on you. Right? And that's not, a, that's not a scare tactic. I'm not trying to scare anybody into the arms of Jesus. I'm just stating the truth of it all that that's what Jesus said. Fall on me or I'll fall on you. We're, we're in a collision course. We're playing a game of chicken. Jesus is not going to move. Why don't you let Jesus save you today? I don't, you know, I look at things differently in a lot of different, you know, than I used to in some forms and fashion. And I'm going to, I'm going to give an altar call. I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to come if you would like for us to pray with you. But I want you to understand this morning that this is, this is not just about, I'm not going to say to you, if I can just, if I can just get you to this altar, it's all going to be different. It's all going to be better. You can come to this altar this morning and leave just exactly the same way you came to it. It, it's not about whether or not you settle in your mind, I'm going to go to the altar. You can't you read the New Testament over. Find one place where somebody went to the altar and got saved. You won't find one place. It's awesome. It's great. It's a great. I think it's the best place to get saved because there's people here who love Jesus and love you that will help bring you and pray for you and bring you through it. But I want you to understand this morning that you have to settle it in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit right where you sit. I mean, you just have to come to the understanding and the knowledge of the truth, which is, I'm on a collision course, right? And I want to take care of business right here today. I want to get everything right with God today. That's all this message is about. I give you the opportunity this morning. 
So settle it in your mind. I open these altars this morning. And if you would like to come, and by come saying, that's me. I want to be saved. I want to make this right. And I want you to pray with me. We're here to do that. So stand to your